and we're not doing collectively a good enough job there and that's some of the policies and plans that we're working on now. Hi, I'm Darren Woolley, founder and CEO of Trinity P3 Marketing Management Consultancy, and welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media, and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Now, at the start of the global pandemic, Australian marketing and advertising saw a significant number of expat Australians returning home after decades working overseas. But now, with the threat of the pandemic subsiding, Reports show that the trend of Australians going back overseas is on the rise again. My guest today is someone who left Australian shores at the start of this millennium and has now returned to take up a senior management role at one of Australia's leading creative agencies. So what is the difference between working in the UK and in Australia? And is there a benefit in packing up and travelling overseas to further your career? To discuss these questions and more, please welcome to Managing Marketing, Danny Bassel, Chief Executive Officer at Cleminger BBDO Australia. Welcome, Danny. Thank you. Pleasure to be here, Darren. Thank you for asking. Well, look, it's an interesting conversation from my perspective because running a global business, particularly Northern Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere, it's always interesting to give people that perspective. I think there's definite perspective from Australia looking up towards the rest of the world, but also from the other side of the world looking at Australia. I'm really interested in in understanding that dual perspective that you've got because, you know, you started your career here in Sydney. I did. And then spent a significant amount of time really building a, a career in the UK before returning home. Yeah, it's been an interesting journey for sure. I um worked in various agencies here till I was 27. Back in the day, you had till 28 to get your two-year working holiday visa. And I think I was three weeks before that and thought, shit, I better better do this. I've always wanted to. And I packed up everything I owned into one suitcase and went on my way. Uh, Said to mum and dad, I'll be back in two years. And two decades later, I did come back. But um, it's really interesting, actually. And I was a baby when left as far as my career went and the really good the really good grounding I had here was I think because it's a smaller market you put your hand to a lot more things and I got to the UK I got to London and the thing that I didn't like about it was you were very much siloed into you do this bit because I guess the scale of the agencies is so much bigger and I never really bought into that and I think the reason why I probably did quite well was because I was interested in the whole business not just being an account person or being a planner or being a creative. I loved all of it and I had a point of view on all of it and I still love all of it. And I think that that, the grounding here, I'm not sure I would have had that perspective going to London. But I always knew I was going to come back and actually when I met my husband 14 years ago, on the first night we met, the deal was I'm going to go back to Australia at some point. So if you're not into that, then we can't do this. And here we are. <laughs> now, it's an interesting point you raise because, you know, I know a lot of creative people that even though, you know, in those days it was writer, art director, found themselves landing in New York or, or London and 
it wasn't just whether you're a writer or an art director. There was also a question about, well, what category, you know, are you automotive or are you farmer or whatever? And it just blew their mind because, you know, a creative person in Australia would probably want to work across as many different categories as possible. But in those big markets, you were like category specific. Oh, totally. My old business in the UK, Digitas, in the US, they have a banking client that's $100 million. Yeah. So, you know, they need FS experts from a creative perspective, which is the scale of it is just even from a UK perspective. When we looked at the States, we were like, wow, like it's just so much more epic. And then, you know, the UK is kind of in between and then you come to Australia and it's obviously a smaller market. So um, I kind of understand that. And I guess creatives make their name, you know, shooting cars or understanding that market is so nuanced and they kind of make a career out of it or you become a comedy writer or this or that and there is a bit more categorization but the great thing about Australia as I said before for what I did I think it's the same with creatives you kind of you do it all and that give I think that's why we're so well loved abroad. Yeah it is a bit of a conundrum isn't it because you know you hear a lot from people overseas saying we love Australians because they're so well-rounded and they have broad uh, uh, experience but then as you say on the other part they want you to fit into a particular pigeonhole which is actually quite difficult if you've got broad experience. Yeah I think it's it is really interesting actually because I think because we've got broad experience I think what that means in turn is we have a broad way of thinking and even though they might want a special you know you go for you to eventually go into a specialism they like the way that we think in broader terms even if we apply it to one thing that makes sense like we are innately curious it's why wherever you go in the world there's always Aussies somewhere doing something that have either moved somewhere or traveling somewhere we are I think because of the nature of this country and the one thing I have noticed coming back is how far you forget how far other countries actually are when you have to get on a plane and go somewhere. And we we do that naturally because we have to. We are just more curious, I think. One of my um, uh, great joys is sitting on a flight out of Sydney going anywhere overseas and you're sitting next to someone who it's their first time on the aeroplane and about three to four hours in, uh, if they've got the window seat, you say, what, what's the land below us? And they go, I don't know. And they go, that's still Australia. You know, it's four hours and we haven't got out of the country yet. Totally. You know? Whereas in London, you fly, floor, you fly four hours, you could be, you know, what, in Another, Moscow. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Not that you'd want to be at the moment. but <laughs> Indeed. But I must say, look, I've loved coming back and it's amazing. And I still, I've been to almost every, probably a beach in every continent and nothing beats and I would go with... Ah, uh, you're still a beach girl. I'm yeah. still a beach girl, but um, or my Brit, British or, you know, my friends from other places, not Australia, would always be so disappointed when we go to Greece or somewhere and I'd be like, oh, this beach is all right. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, anyway. Um, but that, that, does, that leads us to another point about working in the UK, and that is in Australia you are largely either working for local clients or you're on the end of some sort of global project which has originated somewhere else. Whereas London particularly, you're often working on business that's going to be European, pan-European or even you know, multi-market yeah. or global. 
quite a different perspective. I mean, when you look at Australian companies, there are very few that are doing global campaigns out of Australia, apart from Tourism Australia. You know, you'd be hard pressed to find, you know, a handful more, wouldn't you? And I'm absolutely loving that. I have to say that (laughs) the amount of, I mean, global work is great, don't get me wrong, but it's refreshing for me on a personal level. The less global you get, the less political the work gets. And that's really nice because I am inherently about the work and being able to focus on that in a, as I said, less political way is great right now for me. I'm loving it. Okay. So you see that as actually a benefit, whereas a lot of people see, particularly when you're in Australia getting work handed down, like a global campaign, and they're going, well, just localise it for the local market, but not too much. Yep. And, you know, we've got some of those clients. But I think the interesting thing that I've loved about the people leading those businesses in my business at the moment at Clems is, you know, you have to work a bit harder to find the opportunities. But as long as you still push where you can, you'll get some good work out. It just might not be all the time and it might not be your own all the time. But that's okay. As I said, we've got one of those clients and we've just, you know, got up a really fantastic idea for the Australian market, which, you know, we pushed hard on and they they want to do it, which is great. And that might be one out of ten rather than nine out of ten. That's the difference, I think. Now, let's start talking some specifics because, you know, one of the things that the Australian market prides itself on, I think one of the reasons why uh, local agencies invest so much in in shows like Khan, uh, the, the Lions, is because this wanting to test ourselves on a global standard and usually quite proud when we punch above our weight. And I think we do, like... I think Australia, it's really funny because, you know, we've obviously got a big client, Carlton United Brewery. We've got 20 alcohol brands. It's a bit of a gift of a client, I'm not going to lie. And I keep sending my UK friends, you know, we just launched Carlton Dry. We did an amazing piece of work for that. Uh, We created a world called Drylandia and, you know, they're loving it. They're like, keep sending the beer ads. We love the Australian beer ads. There is something... I think the world still looks to us because I think we do punch above our weight in this industry considering the size of the market we have because I think we, you know, definitely I found in this agency anyway, there is just a creativity like is oozing out of everybody and every pore of the business and that is, you know, partly from its DNA, partly, you know, from its history and it's ambition, but it's absolutely fantastic. And I worked at a few places like that in London, but certainly not all of them. And I think that that is part of the industry here is to is to punch, punch above its weight. And I think it's really brilliant and we should never lose that. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to come home. But uh, yeah, you raised some of the agencies you've um, worked you've worked at in London, yeah. and they're not creative slouches. I mean, there's uh, Mother, there's Wyden Kennedy, VCCP, uh, Grey London, you know, has, has had many awards, uh, and, and Digitas. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how do you, you know, that's very high-level creative. That's yep. a high creative standard. Yeah. Do you see the same possibility here? Oh, definitely. And what I love, I'll call out two of those agencies from a creative perspective. Because you were a mother at Mother. I was a mother at Mother, which um, I think for me 
was a very defining moment in my career. Not just because the model at the time, you know, you were a mother and a you were account person and a maker together. And that is the role that I absolutely loved. And I think that gave me such a broad perspective on the agency and the clients I was working on as well, which were incredible at the time. But what I loved about both of those agencies, both Widens and Mother, is you had to be on your A game because everyone you worked with was absolutely incredible, like the best people I ever worked with. And so if you weren't on your A game, you got called out, you know, and the team and the team making the work and doing the work was everything. And I've taken that spirit with me, I think, everywhere I've ever worked. And we tried to build that culture. And I think we did a really good job at Digitas, obviously a very different business. And we've definitely got the makings of that culture at Clems. We're just optimising it a bit now. And, you know, we've got some great plans and we've got some great ambitions. But, yeah, it's a, that's what I learned from those agencies. And I don't think you learn that anywhere else. Trinity P3. Now, there's um, another point that you raised or you touched on a little bit earlier, and that was, you know, the global becomes quite, um, can become quite political. It's also because, you know, the budgets, because of the scale, suddenly the budgets are really big. And, you know, one of the things that I often get told overseas is they love Australians because they get a lot done for very little. But it must get quite frustrating when suddenly, you know, you've got these what appear to be massive budgets, but they all get caught up in having to accommodate all of these variations and changes and, you know, all of the needs of the individual markets. Is that one of the frustrations with that oh, global work? A hundred percent. I remember being at Widens working on Nokia. Oh, my God, this was so long ago. And we had 28 different markets on the call. And you're trying to agree the work with 28 different voices and it's impossible. It's so difficult. And it's a bit like, you know, we talk in this industry a bit about like how research can kill great ideas, globe, massive global client calls with 28 markets is the surest way to kill a good idea. Well, <laughs> to kill committees, idea. you know, committees kill anything. Exactly. So that's what I mean, like coming back here, and, have, and working on, you know, I would say 70% of our businesses, Australian businesses, is has been, after living that world for so long, a really nice and refreshing thing that I didn't really think about, actually, and expect. So I'm really loving it at the moment. Because one of my frustrations about the Australian market is, in many ways, it's the ultimate test market for a large part of the world. I'm not saying all of the world, because obviously... Asian cultures, but there's a significant Asian population here. Yeah. You know, Australia has got quite a diverse uh, cultural makeup. It's also relatively small to other markets. I'm just wondering why more marketers are not, you know, global marketers are not thinking of Australia as almost like a test market. Yeah. That I they can roll, you know, do stuff here on a relatively small basis compared to their global budgets that they then roll out. Yeah, it's interesting because when I left here 20 years ago, I felt like Australia was that. And, you know, I remember, God, back in the day, we were the first to have online banking and they tested it here. And even when I, my very, very first job was at News Corp working in the advertising section of The Australian and we had the first colour 
paper and they tested it here before they rolled it out to the big market. You know, I always thought of Australia, of Australia like that, but I'm not sure and I don't know why mm. we're not continuing to do that. Maybe globalisation has changed the way that companies think about Mark. Like, I'm not sure, but it should be. And that's where the opportunity here is, I think, is try them here, do them differently, and then roll them out. Well, you know, uh, McDonald's started McCafe in Melbourne and rolled that out exactly. globally. You know, there example. are opportunities. But, you know, a, a frustration for me was there was a campaign. I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm bound by non-disclosure agreements. But let's say it was a a consumer package good, a food good, that a local agency did this amazing campaign for. And they made it with a director because there was a very specific style that only this director did. And it went gangbusters here. You know, the product was flying off the shelves. It was one of those uh, Effie award-winning stories that you would dream to have. Then the head office in, in, let's say, Europe, to make it harder to define who it is, said, well, we want to make that. They handed it to their local agency. They got the same director to make it. The director made virtually the same commercials for five times the money that they got paid in Australia. The local agency got nothing. And it was a real eye-opener for me. This is five years after I'd started the business because the client had made the agency sign an agreement that they owned all of the IP. So the agency came up with the idea here that had such an impact on their business, but they could just take that idea to Europe, remake it. The director was happy, just made five times his original fee to remake the ads in the local style in quotes. That's crazy. It is crazy, isn't it? it? Is like crazy. there's a commerciality about this that one is unfair, but a prime example of how you could really test things in this market before you go and make that five times commitment just in production. I've got to say, as an industry, we cut some stupid deals sometimes and we really need to look at ourselves <laughs> long and hard <laughs> well, <laughs> on why. Yeah, I think, I think you know, there's commercial arrangements that are not holding a client to ransom but are just more ethically and morally fair to the creators. Absolutely. That people don't even seem to think about. Yeah, and that's wrong, actually, because it's not just the agency, it's the whole process and, you know, your partners. You know, you need to think about that in the round before you go and make those sort of decisions. Although, in this case, the director did really well out of it, so well done. Yeah, well done, director. It's insane, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think that I suppose now that maybe I think what... What was interesting about Australia when I left is we tended to be the APAC hub and that's gone. Yeah, absolutely. And that's now shifted to Singapore, Hong Kong, wherever, and maybe that's part of the problem now. Trinity P3. It's interesting because certainly when you leave Australia and you're doing business, Australia is virtually irrelevant to Asia. Yeah. You know? It is seen as a Western outpost more than part, no matter how much of the Australian government wants us to be part, no matter how many uh, uh, migrants that we've welcomed to Australian shores from, from Asia and, and the subcontinent, you know, uh, Australia is still seen as being part of the West rather well, than part and, of the region. And we are an outlier culturally. Yeah. And from a numbers perspective as well, you know, population. 
China, etc. You know, we we are from an APAC perspective, we're outflanked by lots of other highly populated countries that are much bigger than us. So it kind of makes sense. I was um, my I've got uh, twin boys, and uh, they were asking me about the size of countries because their mother's from China, and they uh, I, I was looking at the population. And did you realise that if you took a billion people out of China and a billion people out of India, India is still the largest population and China is still the second largest and America is still the third largest, that they've got a billion people each before you even get to the third largest population. Just phenomenal, that scale. Like we're talking about Europe or the UK being a bigger market. No, well, I mean, Europe, obviously, I was living in... London was actually on holidays in Greece when the Brexit vote happened and my cap- my Greek cappuccino tripled in <laughs> price that day, which was great. Um, but, you know, Europe is 550 million, yeah. or the EU was anyway, before we left. And America is, what, 400? Yeah, three, 360. 360. I mean, yeah. yeah, you know, China and India. Like, I remember that from working on global business. If you can get those markets right, the rest... Don't really matter. Speaking and, and sort of adjacent to that, you know, there's a lot of conversation in advertising around the world about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And there's a lot of proactive programs happening here. But it feels a little bit to me that, you know, advertising generally in the UK and Australia and even the US, best so the US is quite slow to embrace diversity and particularly slow on um, gender equality. Mm-hmm. Is, yeah. that, is that a, would you agree or disagree with that? Well, I can speak from a UK perspective. So we have Wajia reporting here, I believe it's called. We have the gender pay gap reporting, but that's been compulsory for businesses over 250 people for about 10 years now. So you had to publicly disclose. Your this is in the UK. In the UK. Yeah. Whereas I believe we're doing that here from next year. So really we're, we're quite far behind. I'm not sure what they do in the US. The, the challenge we found with diversity, especially when I was working at Digitas and leading that business, was how you understand diversity so, for example, when someone joined Digitas, you would fill in a form and you, we asked a question on diversity and ethnicity, but you could opt out of answering that. And we found out through the research we did within the business that a lot of people chose not to disclose because they didn't want to be discriminated against when they first joined. So diversity is more challenging, in my opinion, because when you look at someone, you don't automatically know. Are they neurodiverse? What background they're from? What religion they are? I mean, you know, I wouldn't have a clue looking at you. All I can go on is your name and that you appear to be a man and I'm assuming you talk oh, about I, I'm overranked for privilege. You know. Yes. And, you know, I've, I'm I sure... Should, I should be the person that's actively um, chosen against. Well... You know, white, male, older. <laughs> I didn't have a private school education, but, you know... Um, it, in uh, 20 years ago, I was the perfect advertising candidate. But, you know, it's it, so we gave ourselves some metrics in my old business that we, we gave us, ourselves a goal of five years of 0% gender pay gap. 
and that our what they call in the UK BAME, which is Black and Minority Ethnic, that's the government term, would be 45% of the business because that's what the greater London population was. So we wanted to be, to be representative of the city that we were in. But that was really challenging because we didn't know what everyone in the business you know, what they selected themselves as for want of a better term. So the metric was hard to um, was hard to reach because we didn't know. So anyway, we did quite a lot of work around that and that is continuing. And to be fair, we are doing a similar thing at Clemenger and we're at the start of that journey. We've started a D, E and I, B committee, which mm-hmm. is, I think B is for belonging. And that's the, that's the word I find the most interesting if you can create a culture of inclusion and belonging where people feel like they have an equal voice and an equal opportunity, then you will find yourself with a more diverse workforce by the nature of that culture. And that's what we're working on now. So what about the um, uh, gender pay gap? Is that covered in there? Yes, so we've give, you know we've all, we're just working on our strategy now. I mean, it was really challenging at, at my old business because we had two hundred people in technology and there were five women in it. And as much as we tried to hire women, they didn't exist. So we created our sort of internship and apprenticeship program into that for women. A, a bit easier, although there is still a huge creative issue on gender, both in the US, the UK, and definitely in Australia, which we need to try to crack collectively as an industry. So we are just coming up with all of our strategies now and there there is a gender strategy, there's a diversity strategy, and you know we're kind of building it out, but we've got a long way to go, I think, because I think we're further behind the rest of the world. Yeah, I think after decades and decades of being seen as an industry that's quite exclusive, to turn that perception around, because, you know, one of the big challenges is actually getting people to even consider advertising as a career that's suitable for them. Totally. You know, and and that's creative and account management and strategy and technology. and, and, And now there's an increased competition because there are so many industries competing for young, bright, uh, curious, inventive, creative people. Absolutely. And if we do not... And they pay better. They do pay better. If we do not crack the work-life balance, which we're doing, I would say, very well, if we do not crack the maternity leave and return to work situation, because honestly, if I was creative in a deadline-orientated business like this, and I had, you know, I've recently had a baby. I've got a three, three and a half year old. It's really hard, mm. and we're not doing collectively a good enough job there. And that's some of the policies and plans that we're working on now is around that. We've got to nail that issue. Trinity P three. Now in London, there's a group called Wackle, and it has been around for many years. Hundred years. And it does an amazing job at really fostering the community of women leaders, doesn't it? It does. And we desperately need something like that here. And we've got a new MD of one of our sister agencies in the group, a woman who sent me an email last week saying, 
oh, is there a women's network in our industry? And I was like, no, but there should be one. <laughs> um, and it's really important. And I'll never forget when I was announced as CEO at Digitas. It's the first time they'd ever had a female CEO. And I was up on the podium, you know, it's 500 people at the time, introduced myself, blah, 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 got off the stage. And about, there was a queue of about 10 women you know, who I'd never met before, just wanting to say hello and to say it's so amazing that we've got a female CEO. And I I never thought about it. Like I thought so excited about getting the job. I never thought about the impact it would have on the females in the agency because they'd never had a, I suppose, a role model or someone to look up to 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 show them what their path might be. And it's re- that's why diversity, not just gender, but all of it is so important. But the people who are who look at you, who like identify someone like you, they need to see a path for themselves. And that is absolutely the most important thing that our industry has to get a grapple on, that it is very white male still. It's shifting to be more female orientated, but we need other cultures and other skin colours and other religious, you know, people people of different sorts of religion to be up on those stages so that people can identify that they too can do that job one day that's really i think that's really important. yeah well we've had the boys club for centuries so um, you know, yes. it's probably worthwhile having a a club for women yes and i it's on my list definitely on my list and i think it's something that we desperately need and women should be able to support women to in their careers and give advice and give their own perspectives. They're the things that help you. Um, And my female network in the UK, I don't think I would ever have, you know, gotten to the seniority that I did without their help and support and their advice. So just um, so you know, and you may have heard of it already, there's a group called Mentor Walks in Australia, and it's now expanded overseas, which is for women and they put you together with um, mentors in groups and you go walking around. So, I mean, there is something here. It's not for the advertising or marketing industry specifically. Have you heard of that? No, I've not. Okay. So you can never do that in the UK because it rains all the time. (laughs) Well, and that gets me on to my next point is uh, it's interesting from my perspective, talking to people that have returned to Australia, having spent a decade or more overseas, there seems to have been two triggers. One is that obviously COVID and the pandemic got people thinking about, well, if this is the world as we know it, where do I want to be? Yep. And uh, having good memories about growing up in Australia. The other is the standard of, of living and, and even the cost of living. People complain, rightly or wrongly, about the cost of living. But, you know, living in Australia is quite a luxury, isn't it? Um. <laughs> I don't know, you obviously walk through the offices here, <laughs> you see the view. I mean, I still walk up here every day that I come into work and I can't quite believe. You know, Sydney is ridiculous. Like, it is be- ridiculously beautiful in every way. Um, and that is, like, I don't think Australians quite know how lucky they've got it sometimes. Um, so the standard of living is absolutely fantastic and it's easy to live here. You know, um, I don't know how much you heard, but the NHS in the UK is like it's on its knees. And I came here, got a doctor's appointment within a day. I mean, you were waiting months to even see a GP in the UK before I left. You know, got 
my daughter injections on the spot to get her up to date so she'd go pretty like it was all just done and I remember calling one of my friends being in shock just going I just can't believe what happened like it was so smooth and it was just to make like it's just yeah you just forget about all these sort of little things really um but you know I see both sides of it like my home is London and my home is Sydney and I will always call them both home and that is, you know, when you first talked about people going back, like coming here after COVID and returning to the UK, I can see why. Because there are still days that I miss my home really desperately. So, I, yeah, I kind of understand both sides of it, really. It's it's hard. You're forever in two homes. Because both have uh, pluses and minuses, absolutely. don't they? Totally. And anywhere in the world absolutely has that. So... Sydney or Australia, you know, I spent a lot of time in Melbourne as well, is no different. You know, Melbourne has pros and cons to Sydney. You know, some days I'm like, we should really move to Melbourne. Melbourne's so cool. And some days I'm like, oh, you can't beat Sydney. So, mm. you know, and the industry in the UK is incredible and you get to work on the big scale stuff and global and all of those things. And Australia has its benefits. And what I do love about this market is it's really relationship-based, you know, like your clients not are more forgiving, but the UK, I suppose because of the size of it and the scale of it, I find people that clients here are more willing to work through issues and solutions together and you're going on a journey together and it's really wonderful. Like the relationships I develop with the clients already in such a short period of time, I feel like I've been able to get much closer to them, A, because they're just awesome people but and really smart marketeers, that would have taken a lot longer back in the UK. So I really like that. And I really, like people talk about Australian tall poppy syndrome. I've not experienced that at all. All the other industry CEOs I've met have been welcoming, helpful, really like smart, wonderful people who I'm, I'm now friends with and I've found I didn't quite expect that mm. and that's been really nice. So looking at the world as it is today and your experience, if there was a young person that, you know, hasn't quite hit their 28th birthday that's contemplating working overseas, would you encourage them to do it today? Absolutely. I think if you have the opportunity or you want to do anything like that, you should absolutely take it with both hands. What you learn in the UK is different to what you'll learn here and that will make you better at whatever it is you're doing, whether that's a creative, a planner, an account person, a producer or whatever. You'll get a different perspective. You'll work on different clients. You know, the I worked on a big telco in the UK and we had a crack team surrounding the CEO on a full kind of brand and digital transformation project that will last three years. And I, the scale of that was massive and it's fantastic that I'm able to bring that back here. And, you know, you'll be involved in, I, I encourage people to go and come back. I think it's great, it's great for us as an industry because we get, a, you know, whether it's the US or the UK, we get that experience back here and then that makes our thinking more global, even if it is for Australian clients, which, you know, I look at some of the work we've done and I see the global creative spirit in the work and I think it's made it better. So, yes, I absolutely think people should go and do that. And also you get to jump on a train and be in another country in two hours and you can't <laughs> do that here. So go and do that and experience it. It'll be great. 
Fantastic. Danny Bassel, thank you so much for making time to uh, have this conversation. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Darren. It's been wonderful. Very kind. But um, look, just to finish up, I'd, I'd be really interested if, if you had a piece of advice for your 27-year-old self, what would you be saying to them? Thank <laughs> you.